This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway, and I thank you for your time. Our guest today on Campus Voices, uh, Campus Voices is Josh Planos, the Vice President of Communications and Public Relations at the Better Business Bureau. And he's also a freelance writer with a list of credits and a list of publications that is dizzying, including, but not limited to, Atlantic Magazine, 538, GQ, The Guardian, The New York Times, Slam Magazine, Sports Illustrated, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post, among other publications. But along the line, he's also done quite a bit of video work and is also a featured uh, sports commentator on CNN Philippines periodically. So he has certainly done a lot of things since he graduated from the University of Nebraska back in 2014 with his degree from the College of Journalism and Mass Communications and Advertising and Public Relations. And if I am correct on this, you also had some studies in English and communications, correct? Correct. So it's been a busy academic career for you, and then you hit the ground running right after that. But help us connect the dots. Uh, we want to talk about the the future of all the, the various industries in which uh, you take part, because this is part of a series now on Campus Voices relating to futures. But help us sort of get from point A to point Z, where you are now with the Better Business Bureau from the time you graduated in 2014. Sure. Um, well, when I graduated from college, I did not have a full-time position lined up. And so that gave me, uh, frankly, too much time to consider what my next move would be. Uh, very thankful uh, to my mother for letting me move in for that month and a half. That uh, was a very formative experience. But uh, ultimately, where I settled on was uh, a desire to write full-time. Uh, whatever position that entailed, I wanted writing to be uh, just the central pillar of whatever position um, I would obtain. And ultimately, I ended up at KTV Newswatch 7. Very grateful. That's the ABC affiliate in Omaha to do a little bit of everything. Uh, my position was digital editor. But as anyone who has ever worked in the newsroom could attest, you do whatever is asked of you on a given day. And in that way, it was uh, an incredible learning environment for a number of reasons. But uh, after then, I moved on to the University of Nebraska Foundation, so a little bit of a philanthropy, nonprofit, and from there to Grand Island Public Schools to uh, work in public education. And then now I am at uh, the Better Business Bureau. So that is uh, more or less my, my professional journey to this point. Uh, I have always had a great deal of respect for folks who work at the same position their entire careers. I think that's uh, incredibly admir admirable. I knew um, the moment I graduated college, that would not be my experience. Um, I wanted to, uh, to to sample the fare, I suppose, and ultimately end up uh, where kind of my heart wanted me to be. And uh, currently I, I work in the nonprofit space and I'm, I'm very happy there. I think were this interview taking place 30 or 40 years ago, someone who had moved not only from different jobs, but from one career to another would have been considered somewhat uh, outside the norm of the experience, whereas now we're telling our students that that will likely be the model of their performance throughout their career, that changing not just jobs, but entire career fields is likely to be what's on their agenda. Would you agree? I would. Um, I think that we see, unfortunately, a lot of industries 
uh, hemorrhage jobs from uh, year to year. Uh, there are entirely new industries that probably don't even exist yet that will present a, a number of opportunities for uh, you know the next class of students. So um, certainly, I, I think that that uh, would be the trend that we've seen in recent years. You started with the Better Business Bureau in uh, June of uh, 2021 as Director of Public Relations and Communications and now are Vice President of Communications and Public Relations. What does your job entail and what, if any such thing exists, is an average day like for you? Sure. Uh, well, anyone who's ever worked in the nonprofit space will tell you it, it is do, do what is needed on a given day. Some days that's turning on the lights and some days that's uh, handling uh, you know external media efforts. Uh, but I would say the, the vast majority of my work involves uh, overseeing and executing all external and internal communication efforts, marketing efforts, public relations efforts. Uh, but it absolutely varies uh, by the day. Uh, there are some seasonal work. There are some um, annual projects that we work uh, through. Uh, but, you know, each day is, is a little bit different and uh, that keeps me on my toes. You also are frequently a, a public affairs specialist for them in terms of being used by other news media to spread the word. I noticed in doing a little research for this afternoon that you are frequently asked to talk about things like consumer scams and things along that line. Are you, I trust you're comfortable with that with that role as well. Yeah, scam prevention and outreach is a, a pretty significant tenet of the Better Business Bureau's mission uh, to advance marketplace trust and I'm lucky enough to, to be the spokesperson of our international investigations initiative. We produce semi-regular scam studies tackling a wide range of, of topics, but many of them pertain locally, um, unfortunately, and uh, that you know results in a great deal of media attention. When you were first looking at a career and were thinking about where you might want to, to attend college, what was on the radar at that time and what was it that brought you to, to school at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln? That's a great question. Um, I grew up kind of all around the country, but my family put roots down in Omaha when I started uh, middle school. And so University of Nebraska-Lincoln was just down the road in a sense. And I knew that they had a speech and debate team. And in high school, that was a big part of my life. It's a big part of my identity. And it helped pay for school as well. So the minute um, I was given a scholarship to the UNL speech team, I, I was sold. Uh, but uh, I obviously was, was raised around uh, Husker football fanatics, and uh, that I'm sure played played a role in, in my uh, interest in, in the culture and environment that, that UNL creates, um, I suppose. And those speech skills are now coming back to be helpful in a variety of uh, senses as well, given your work with scams, but also... Um, tell us a little bit about your involvement with uh, with being the a regular sports contributor to uh, CNN's Philippines channel. Yeah, if anyone is interested in or on the fence about engaging with uh, any sort of public speaking activity, whether it be speech or debate or uh, theater, I would encourage them to to pursue it. I do feel like it is a goldmine opportunity. Uh, those skills extend to, to every position I've ever held and every position I ever will. And uh, it's it's a fantastic opportunity to learn a lot about yourself and, and your comfort level. Uh, but uh, in terms of what brought me to uh, this kind of odd situation I have with uh, CNN Philippines, um, I covered a basketball player on the Creighton basketball team, Kobe Paras, uh, who ultimately transferred. But he was a very big deal in uh, the Philippines. Um, he has an incredible uh, fan base, incredible support team. 
And uh, basketball is, is the number one sport of the Philippines. They're incredibly passionate uh, fans. And uh, because of that, that ultimately brought me to uh, to a guest segment role. And then I guess I just never left. Uh, so they invite me on occasionally to, to speak about, uh, you know, kind of the, a little bit of a talk of the town kind of situation, whatever sport is, is topical and timely. Uh, some weeks that's boxing, some weeks that's professional basketball, uh, some weeks that's tennis. And uh, I'm more than happy to to help them out. I've, grand, I've gained a great deal of respect for, for their team and uh, would hope to actually get out to Manila uh, sometime in the, in the near future to uh, to meet these folks who I've worked with and in a sense uh, for, for many years in person. Well, that speaks to the fact that you are sort of the model, I would say, uh, for the multi-platform media content creator that we're encouraging many of our students here to, to consider. Uh, you've done, you're doing PR for the Better Business Bureau. You've been a freelance writer ever since you graduated from the university or a sports contributor to the CNN network. You have uh, contributed a, at least one talk I'm aware of to the TEDxUNO uh, series. You've done a variety of guest lecture appearances in, in different places around the country. So there, you, you seem to be comfortable touching pretty much any field of content creation that there is. Is there one that's that's your favorite at this point or that, that when, when push comes to shove, you sort of hone in on as the one you, you feel most comfortable doing? So that's a difficult question because uh, timeliness uh, of this interview uh, would would push me in the direction of of business and, and marketing. Um, that's taking up a, a great deal of uh, my my time, both in my my full time role and and my uh, my current position in, in graduate school. I'm pursuing an MBA through uh, through Creighton University, and uh, but it really does depend um, on the day and what is asked of me. I think writing will always be my my, my number one love, um, but certainly. Uh, you know, some days uh, social media is required, some days videography is required. And uh, I do find um, a lot of interest and excitement from from working in those those various aspects. Well, I noticed in looking over your Clifton Strengths Finders themes that one of them that popped out at me was adaptability. And I would certainly think that is most appropriate, given the, what you just said, where you it's sort of whatever is required from day to day is what you're willing to do. And uh, adaptability, I would suggest you would think would be uh, one of the things you would recommend most to young folks entering into the workplace. Absolutely. Uh, back in the day, a five-tool player in Major League Baseball was really difficult to find. And nowadays, I would assume it is something of a prerequisite for folks entering into the space. I know uh, that there were folks around me at UNL back in you know 2010, 2011, who were just at least publicly going to school to be a print journalist and they just wanted to write. And uh, I just don't know if that position even exists anymore. Um, I think that frankly, you need to have someone who can work a camera, can produce social media content, can voice a story, someone who has great typing speed. I think all of those skills are incredibly desired, desirable. And uh, most employers I would say are looking for a combination of skills and not necessarily one. Um, which is either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how uh, flexible or adaptable uh, you see yourself being. Well, the thrust of this series is going to be talking about the future and where uh, the guests in our series feel their individual fields or careers are, are headed. 
And uh, I'll I'll talk to you primarily about your work with nonprofits, since that's where you are right now. But I know you've got a wealth of other background as well. So feel free to modify your answers to any of what I'm about to pose to you to fit any of those backgrounds. But from what you've seen since you graduated from here and moved into to, uh, your your career field, how have you seen your field change since when you started? Well, uh, difficult to say because I've, I've bounced around so much, I suppose, but at least within the, the nonprofit space, I think a desire to marry the freedom and flexibility that a lot of nonprofit work provides to its employers with the hard deadlines necessary by, by today's market. I think that there's a lot of folks who are being uh, tasked with deadlines that they probably never have previously in, uh, in the nonprofit space. Uh, Frankly, every deadline I've ever had since working in a newsroom has felt uh, a lot slower than um, anything I, I dealt with in, in a newsroom. And, and that way, I find that to be uh, an incredibly helpful baseline uh, because everything is as is, is slow as molasses by comparison. But I do think that uh, you know the deadlines uh, folks in nonprofits are asked to hit um, have certainly been ratcheted up a, a tick or two. Uh, but mostly, I would say the the multi skill cross departmental responsibilities um, are not going away, as far as I can tell. So, even though I was hired to essentially run a communications department uh, within the Better Business Bureau system, that also involves a great number of things outside of communications as well. Um, so that's, I guess, essentially what what uh, you sign up for in the nonprofit space to begin with. But increasingly so, I would say. Um, has, has been my experience, the uh, the asking to to get involved with things like accounting, with HR, um, you know, seemingly no department is, is off limits for anyone in the nonprofit space. In what ways have you seen technological changes impact your career field? A great deal. Um, I work, uh, Better Business Bureau is, is a very generational uh, workforce. There are a number of folks who, uh, frankly, probably will not be employed by the Better Business Bureau in five to 10 years, um, just like there are folks like me who hopefully will will be. Um, that's because uh, th there's any number of, of new features um, with regard to things like uh, communication apps, right? Uh, getting folks up to speed on, on Microsoft Teams or Slack or uh, whatever your preference may be to, uh, you know, the, even just the social media concept, right? The uh, This would not really be a conversation 15 years ago. Um, and now there's a new platform that is seemingly being constructed each and every day. And uh, because of that, I think uh, the ability to, to juggle multiple projects, multiple innovations uh, in a timely manner is is not going away anytime soon. Um, it's something that is top of mind for, for me and my team as well. Uh, but the, the, tech, the technological advancements that have been made in the past nine years since I've been out of school have been uh, vast and um, have really caused me to, to reflect on a lot of the skills that I learned and be grateful for them, uh, those that, that were cultivated within the, the halls of the UNLJ school. What do you think are the biggest forces that are driving change in your, in your area, in your field? Some of it is societal. I think you see nonprofit organizations maybe stepping out on the ledge a little bit more to advance, uh, you know, human rights issues, um, to advance um, societal uh, conversations. Um, 
that's tricky working for the Better Business Bureau, I would say, who, you know, is as an organization, it's a century old brand that is really meant to be impartial. And so uh, that is a, a tricky dynamic, I would say, uh, on a personal level and, and to the folks working within the BVB system. But I, I would say that, uh, you know, any organization is adapting to meet the needs of the consumer. And those are always a little bit in flux, even if it might seem like, uh, you know, just a, a one degree temperature uh, difference, you know, it does add up. Um, over over time. So I would say that uh, a lot of folks just are kind of on the lookout for for whatever's happening next societally. And uh, and certainly to, uh, to the business owners that we serve, uh, COVID was, was a pretty significant wrench uh, that I think a lot of folks are still working their way through. The uh, dynamic of whatever full-time employment uh, looks like these days to a lot of folks, right? Um, I work uh, essentially fully remote um, and uh, that was not really an opportunity that I, I knew existed uh, before uh, COVID struck. But like many organizations, the Better Business Bureau is working its way through that as well. So I would say just adapting to meet uh, the needs of the consumer and, and the business owners and the folks that uh, these nonprofit organizations are duty bound to serve. We'll get back to the uh, remote from home working conditions in a bit. Do you feel that, that because of the, the the field that you're in, that the kinds of changes that are made are primarily reactive to what's happening? Or is there an opportunity to also occasionally be proactive and suggest where maybe you think the industry or the company thinks the industry should go? Well, certainly I would hesitate to speak for all nonprofits, but True. I would say that uh, the majority of it is reactive. Um, I would and, and, and try to instill a sense of being proactive for, for our team. But it's easier said than done when, uh, you know, the responsibilities add up and, and the time that is required to, to tackle those responsibilities adds up. So I would say the majority of it is reactive. Um, I have been pleased with some of the more proactive measures that the BBB has taken, but, um, you know, the with the modern day news cycle being what it is, it's very difficult to feel like you are anything close to being ahead of it. Back to your adaption, uh, the adaptability part of your Clifton strengths there. So um, because I teach an ethics course, I'm always curious to ask this one. What do you think are some of the ethical challenges that you see in the nonprofit sector moving forward? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, something that we certainly uh, deal with pretty regularly. Um, as a five hundred one uh, C six, we are duty bound to serve the member organizations um, that keep the lights on uh, for the for the Better Business Bureau. So balancing both what we feel like are initiatives or projects that protect consumers with providing value to the member organizations that keep organizations like the the Better Business Bureau um, in business, I think is kind of always a, a conversation worth having, um, always uh, a ledger that needs to be adjusted over time. Um, ethically, I find it very uh, easy for, for myself in, in my role to, um, to, to go to work. Um, I feel very confident in what it is that the Better Business Bureau has done continues to do um, by you know calling out bad actors, dealing with uh, with fraud and then scam you know uh, prevention uh, 
conversations that frankly are, are never more pressing than they are right now. We've never monitored more scam related activity than we have in the past three years. Uh, that's simply not going to go away as much as I would like to think that the earned media appearances that I do and the, the you know, releases that we get out to the public um, prove valuable. It's, it's playing whack-a-mole in, in a minefield. And so it's very, uh, very, very difficult in, in that sense. But uh, I would say it's a very easy calculus on a personal level to uh, to deal ethically with uh, with the businesses that that keep us around. Um, I would love it if every single member organization that is BBB accredited um, upheld the standards and values that create our organization. The reality is sometimes those standards are are, are broken and those people need to be removed from the organization. And uh, that's, you know, obviously a difficult conversation to have, but I feel very confident in our ability to to self-police and to um, ensure that we are creating a trustworthy market in the ways that we are able to. You were, since you mentioned the pandemic, you were uh, only about several months into your job with the BBB when the world sort of shut down here for a while. Um, What, do you think that what kind of change did the pandemic create in the nonprofit sector in the way that you do business? So I actually can't speak to um, the precursor of, of the pandemic since I joined um, mid-pandemic. But from what I understand, it it forced us to be a lot more intentional about the programs and opportunities that we provide to the business owners who we serve. Uh, you know, an easy... Uh, answer would be that, that we created more remote or hybrid opportunities for folks to take part in things like uh, a Grow with Google webinar series. Um, but the reality is, I think a lot of the ways in which we dispense tools and resources to our accredited businesses uh, change dramatically in ways that we'll will never, um, you know, uh, go go back to. Right? Uh, we we have uh, a new database, right, that allows us to. Um, you know, distribute uh, like the dynamic seal that indicates if you're an accredited business or not. There was once a time where folks had a physical seal that, you know, essentially the BBB would, would go and, and pull it out of the business if they violated the tenets of, of the organization. Uh, but I do think that uh, some of the opportunities that we created, uh, everything from, from budgeting to um, how to spot fake invoice scams, which really spiked um, around, uh, you know, the pandemic, um, were uh, were brought up to speed, and frankly, it was probably much needed from from an organizational perspective. If you could say that there was any sort of positive benefit um, for for any organization out of the pandemic, it was that we really reevaluated. I think a lot of the programs and opportunities that we provided, and thought long and hard about whether the value was what we thought it was. I think that's a that seems to be an answer that I get from a lot of folks that I talk to about in varying industries that I talk to about the pandemic that they say, you know, there was a lot that was really terrible about it, but we we were able to grab some uh, some silver linings out of some things, and some of it had to deal with looking at redundancies and and sure. uh, and streamlining the processes for things and coming to grips with the new reality and finding out that well there were things you could do remotely that perhaps you hadn't considered before. I know that the the nonprofits may not always be seen by the general public in terms of growth the way that a for-profit industry might be, but certainly there, there's growth in nonprofits as well. What do you see as some of the growth areas in the nonprofit sector? 
Well, from our organization specifically, looking ahead to the next generation of business owners, uh, I can tell you that uh, a lot of folks my age probably don't know who the Better Business Bureau is. Um, and some of that is intentional strategically. Um, historically, we have never taken part in a national TV ad advertising campaign before uh, the past six months. Um, so some intentionality around programs and resources um, with regard to entrepreneurs, emerging business owners, uh, that has been something that uh, that we have prioritized on, on a local level, um, just because each each bureau is its own island in a way. There are 97 better business bureaus. I work for the, the third largest one, and we serve four different states. So in a way, we're kind of the odd duckling of the system. But uh, what I do love about the BBB is that you have the opportunity to share resources in the ways that you feel are most beneficial to the communities that you serve. And so at least within the past few years since I got here, we've really been more intentional about um, shepherding the next generation of business owners through the program and uh, and what accreditation means for, for those folks and for, for their communities. Looking ahead, you, you've touched a little bit on uh, the fact that you're likely to have some of your folks uh, cycling through and the natural give and take of people coming and leaving in an organization. So thinking down the road, what kinds of skills do you think employees in the nonprofit sector most need to be successful in that in that field? In a lot of ways, I would think that these have been requirements for a, a good long while, balance, judgment, uh, willingness to, uh, to pivot where necessary, willingness to adapt. Uh, I would say the balance is probably a little bit different now than it was two decades ago, uh, what folks are being asked to juggle, uh, crossing the departments um, a little bit more uh, with regard to what, what daily you know, responsibilities look like. Um, but it would probably depend on what organization you asked. I'm just uh, you know, speaking personally for, for you know, the folks in, in my organization that uh, at least the next generation that we're looking for is our folks who are willing to pivot where, where necessary because the reality is the pivot is going to be necessary. And uh, it's not going to be a slow process. It's going to be uh, very, very fast. In that same sense, then, are there skills or traits that you feel would be beneficial to anyone just looking at uh, coming out of school and getting started in the industries, regardless of whether it was nonprofit or for-profit, are there things that just make somebody more in tune with what the working world is likely to look at as being a successful employee? Yeah, um, you know, strong work ethic is is never going to be, um, you know, a sour note that's always going to be, uh, you know, look to in, in any candidate in any role, um, someone who is uh, ethically minded, um, integrity driven. Um, I do think that those, I mean, for every chat GPT that can automate certain things that you're going to need someone who you can trust behind the wheel. And I do feel like um, that's never going to go out of style, uh, especially in the nonprofit space. Um, adaptability, flexibility. Um, but I would say, you know, on, on a human level, finding someone who, who you truly can trust, uh, you know, with assignments or to, or to lead uh, a department, if that is, uh, you know, what you're pursuing a candidate for. Since you mentioned AI and so many of the uh, phone calls that I am getting recently are, are uh, uh, spam calls and automated and spoofing and all those sorts of things. 
Are you seeing artificial intelligence playing more and more of a role in the kind of scams and other kinds of uh, operations that you have to warn uh, your, your business partners about? Without question. Uh, it would be so much easier if everything that was created by ChatGPT or some other um, uh, language model, you know, had a, had a big red uh, sign on, on the on the top of it, right, to indicate uh, where, where, where its uh, origin was. But the reality is uh, it doesn't. And uh, so when folks report their scam experience, frankly, they, they don't know if it, it, if it originated with ChatGPT. Uh, I would say given the language used and some of the decoders that I know are available online, uh, we know that at least some of it did. Uh, if you think about all of the traditional talking points for scam prevention and awareness, many of them involve looking for grammatical mistakes, um, language of origin, um, many of these scams originate overseas. Well, if you give somebody a toolbox to create content for a, a romance account, or then they can write in the um, in the language of uh, William Shakespeare, then it becomes a lot more difficult to uh, to suss out who is uh, you know an actual person from from a bad actor. And now we have uh, ways to create entire profiles based out of nothing. Um, so yeah, it, it has been a lot more uh, difficult. It's very easy to um, trick people. And sadly, the uh, the shame of being scammed uh, leads, I would say, north of 80% of the folks to not report their experience in this country, which I think is horrifying um, on a human level. But yeah, um, I do think that, uh, that artificial intelligence um, has a lot of positive uh, applications, unfortunately. Um, there are significant drawbacks uh, that I think um, are leading many people to lose a great deal of money right now. We certainly are wrestling with it at the university level as well, trying to figure out how to uh, positively incorporate it into our journalism and mass comm courses while uh, not uh, just making it the, the quick way that somebody completes an essay exam and turns it in. But to your point about the specificity and, and uh, how intuitive the programs are now, we had an example at a convention here recently where someone asked chat GPT to write a, a news uh, release and then told it when the first draft came out, well, that's good, but it's a little too passive. Can you make it more active? And it instantly rewrote it all in, in, uh, in active, <laughs> active tense. So it, uh, it is pretty intuitive and in, in somewhat frightening ways. So we'll see where it goes down the road. Did your time at UNL, or I guess I should ask, how do you think your time at UNL has prepared you for all the, myriad of writing and reporting and, and media content uh, opportunities that you have? I'm forever grateful to, to UNL for providing me with the opportunities that it did. Um, I'm very grateful that the course curriculum required me to be probably more well-rounded than other departments might have. I think uh, I would have chosen, you know, some different courses if I could go back and had the benefit of hindsight, but I'm very grateful for the experiences that I had within those halls to, uh, frankly, to fail as, as much as I feel like I, I have, um, whether it be a, a course project or professionally, um, I, I did feel like I was, I was nurtured and taken care of at, at UNL in, in ways that I'm very, very grateful for, and probably in ways that folks might not anticipate when they think of a Big Ten university or any college that serves tens of thousands of students. 
Well, expanding on that, then, if we're looking at the employees of the future and you had a chance to, as I know you do talk to college classes and, and uh, frequently are, are guests on campus, what are you encouraging today's students to take and to study and what skills should they pursue to uh, maximize their their opportunity to be a good employee? Any way you can find a, a balanced plate, pursue it. Um, I think that there are some, some obvious uh, skills that are more desirable right now, things like coding. Um, I believe that there is, you know, like a sports statistics uh, course or variety of courses in, in that realm that were not available when I was a student. I absolutely would have taken those courses. Um, finding some balance between um, what your passions are and, and thinking of more creative ways to, to get there. Right. If, if you really want to tell a great story, if you treat, treat yourself like a storyteller, there are so many ways to tell a story. Uh, find the tools that will get you to whatever story is that you want to pursue. Uh, ideally, it would involve a dabble of video, a dabble of, of writing, a dabble of reporting. Uh, you know, pursue your passions. That's always going to be probably my number one uh, goal because that's really marked my, my entire life. Um, but I do think that there are some courses um, that are available now that I frankly wish were available when I was around that I hope they take advantage of. Um, and I know the curriculum is asking them to take advantage of them. The uh, you, you touched briefly a little bit ago on the, the opportunity you have to work remotely and work from home. Do you see that? And that, again, was certainly amplified by the pandemic. Do you see that as a change that's likely to stick and that people are uh, not as geographically bound as they once might have been in the, in the nonprofit specifically? Tricky conversation to navigate, uh, especially when asking someone to come into the office is treated punitively or viewed as a punitive measure by colleagues. Uh, I can tell you I was very adamant when I applied for my current role that it be uh, remote, that it at least offer hybrid flexibility. Um, I have attention deficit disorder. So the idea of uh, the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler conversation, uh, stuff like that takes me completely uh, off the path and completely away from my work. So in a completely selfish way, um, I would say remote work has been a, uh, a, a real treasure um, that I, I do not take for granted. I feel like I'm more productive at home. Um, I know that collaboration is key and I, I intend to collaborate um, as long as I can uh, with, with my colleagues, of course. Um, but uh, I do feel like in certain industries, they will be asked to, to re-enter the, uh, the, the brick and mortar um, or just the uh, the business office if if productivity wanes. So I would encourage those who don't want to go back um, or who prioritize that flexibility to uh, to stay productive. It might not be in their hands, right? I think that because of the punitive nature, um, it becomes a, a situation you you might not be able to avoid culturally, but. Um, on a personal level, I think that the productivity will win out. And so that is uh, my priority. And on a related topic, I, I know more and more of the guest speakers to our college within the last decade have have begun to talk about the importance of the work-life balance of any particular job. 
Um, I, I take it from what you've said, that's important to you for a variety of reasons, but how do you see that moving forward as well, that employees are a little more cognizant as you were in your specific situation to say, this is important to me and this will have a bearing on whether or not I keep a job or, or take this job? Yeah, I've been married for two years now, and so spending more time with my wife was and will continue to be a, a real priority of mine. Um, I think she feels the same way, though it might depend uh, on the day, I suppose. Uh, I do think that uh, that is a real benefit that came out of um, the pandemic, at least for our organization, uh, specifically was a, a respect of work-life boundaries um, for folks. Um, I don't, I can't say definitively that prior to the pandemic that those, um, that that balance was, was not respected, but I, I do know that it is top of mind um, for our organization now and moving forward. If you need to provide daycare or childcare rather, if you need to, uh, you know, go to an appointment um, with the flexibility, I think that has been something that has been treated with, uh, with the utmost respect. Um, I do, I do hope that uh, that organizations will see it as important, even if it might not impact their bottom line. Um, I have trust and faith in, in that uh, being respected, but I would say it, it purely depends on what industry or you know employer um, you land. Let's talk about uh, salaries and and compensation and benefits, uh, some of which is tied to that work life balance again. Uh, without asking you what what your particular package looks like, uh, what if that's another area in which the pandemic had a pretty dramatic effect in terms of uh, industries saying, you know, we're not going to be able to make the same kind of money we did before because things are different now. And of course, that was starting prior to the pandemic with the advent of the internet and the way we change how we get a lot of our content. But for folks just coming out of uh, school or looking to change careers in the nonprofit field in particular, uh, what how have salaries been affected? How are, are uh, how is that that picture looking and and tying in with that compensation and benefits packages down the road? Yeah, I certainly don't feel like the the benefits have been limited, at least in my my experience. Um, I know that salaries, change quite a bit. I mentioned that uh, that the BBB is seen as its own island, each bureau with a, with a federated model. You can kind of create FTEs out of nothing and shuffle them as you see fit. So in that way, I do think our BBB has been more intentional about uh, driving demand for positions that have cross-departmental responsibilities. And in that way, understanding that that will require a certain salary that maybe um, was not approved five years ago. Um, certainly depends on where you go, but uh, you know the hybrid model as well or the fully remote model has opened folks up to really pursuing talent in maybe ways that they didn't um, in, in previous years. Um, I know that we have opened up you know some of our positions for people who do not work in a place where there is a physical office. Um, and that of course would have never happened uh, prior to. Um, the pandemic. So um, I can't say specifically that, that the salaries are any better or any worse. Um, I just think that they're different. And I think organizations are thinking maybe more intentionally about the ways in which their FTEs are driving value to the to the company. Because of that, naturally, uh, you know, the salary will, will change based off the responsibilities that, you know, companies are pursuing and potential applicants. 
Since you mentioned FTEs, do you anticipate, and uh, again, I'm not asking you to generalize for the entire nonprofit industry, but do you anticipate that full-time positions will continue sort of as they had before, or are you seeing more work being done by freelancers and uh, contractors? Depends on where you work. Um, I know that uh, if you can outsource, there's typically overcorrections, right? There's uh, the, the trend line seems to be everybody says outsource everything. And then uh, they swing completely the opposite direction and say, no, actually, we just need a, a zillion uh, part-time employees. And nope, let's go back to outsourcing everything. So it, it does depend on where, uh, what organization you land at. Um, I do think culture matters. I do think it's very difficult to create culture with, with freelancers. I say that as a freelancer myself, uh, but it purely depends on, on the organization. I have not heard from my peers that there has been a large sea change toward one direction or the other. Um, but I do think it, it, a lot of it depends on where it is that you're looking. So when you talk to folks about, or when folks talk to you and you go to these campus visits and other things, or you're just talking to to colleagues or family or friends at gatherings and say, oh, you're in the nonprofit zone. What's that like? What do you tell people? What, what do you most want people to know about working in the nonprofit industries? And what would you say might be any misconceptions that people have about working for a nonprofit as opposed to a for-profit agency? Yeah, I feel like it's very easy to wake up and go to my job. Uh, I knew, and I do think that there is some data to suggest that the next generation of college graduates are pursuing uh, positions like this, but a purpose-driven work was very top of mind to me. I say that as the child of um, two professionals who did not work um, in, non in the nonprofit space. So it is not as though, you know, dad worked but nonprofit job, so I work a nonprofit job. That was something that I really uh, that that meant a lot to me was was working for um, an organization that pursued a mission I could believe in. And if that required a little bit more work and required me to do things that maybe um, fell outside of the primary responsibilities of my employment, then so be it. Uh, I do think that uh, my friends who work in the for-profit space. Uh, understand that to the best that they can. I do think for a lot of folks, you know, money is a significant factor. And I'd be lying if I said that money was not, um, you know, an important part of, of every uh, professional conversation when you're looking for, for a new, a new gig. But uh, to me that the work was always the most important thing. And um, luckily I've, I've landed, you know, where I have, um, I do think that that's uh, that the, my socioeconomic background is very different from a lot of others as well. And that's absolutely part of the conversation that I don't want to, uh, to generalize or um, overlook for reasons why people go into uh, working at places that they do. Uh, but I do think that uh, I, I always knew I wanted to pursue mission-driven work. And up until now, I feel like I have. Well, since this is a futures series we're doing here, what do you think uh, when you when you have a, a free moment to ruminate about it? What's in your future? Are you you sort of alluded that you you hope you're going to be there for a few years, but uh, long range, what do you see down the road? You know, I, I do feel like uh, my my work is not even remotely close to to being done at the, the BBB. There's still a lot that I want to uh, to accomplish with my colleagues. Um, so. 
I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Um, I will always have an additional creative itch. That is always how I have framed freelance writing has been if I could be an astronaut and there would be a part of me that would want to write or would want to do something completely unrelated to being an astronaut. And I don't envision that changing anytime soon. Very difficult probably to keep up with the uh, you know, the, the AI models that can you know, spit out, uh, you know, news releases and create, you know, a content mill out of nothing. Um, but, you know, I'll do my best to, to fight that battle as long as I can um, to ensure that I have the opportunity creatively to pursue uh, that itch. Um, so I think moving forward, I would like to have a little bit more of a, you know, a business acumen. That's why I'm, uh, you know, enrolled in graduate school, but I would also like to ensure that I can help the next generation in the ways that I can. So I would anticipate more effort on my behalf with either speaking at campuses, speaking to students, offering internships, things of that nature. Um, and that's probably, uh, and, and spending more time with my wife. I would say that that is a both, both a short-term and a long-term goal of mine. I think priorities firmly in place. I think having a, a creative itch is a healthy thing, keeps you thinking about new things to do, keeps the boredom level down. And you are uh, more than welcome to return to your home campus at any time to talk to any of our classes about all the things that you do. Josh, I appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much for having me. Our guest on Campus Voices has been Josh Planos, the Vice President of Communications and Public Relations at the Better Business Bureau and an established and well-admired uh, well freelance writer on a variety of levels. This has been Campus Voices on 90.3 KRNU. I'm Rick Alloway, and as always, I thank you for your time. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.